You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Jesus left the desert and set about the great rescue. He was going to get God's people back. But first he needed to find some helpers and friends. He had a lot to do. He'd need some people to help him. Who would make good helpers, do you think? Clever ones, rich ones, strong, important ones? Some people might think so, but I'm sure by now you don't need me to tell you they'd be wrong. Because the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just need to need him a lot. So one day, when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw some brothers and friends mending their nets. They were poor fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Let's go. Peter, Andrew, James, and John looked up at this man on the shore. And they couldn't explain it. Their boats needed to be put away. Their nets needed mending. Fish were still on the shore. But something about this stranger made them just drop their nets and their fish, leave the boats, leave everything, and follow him. This God-man was like no one they'd ever met. Jesus asked 12 men to be his helpers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, another James, Simon, Thaddeus, and Judas. Meeting Jesus would change all of them forever. I like this picture because it's the picture of the first four disciples he calls. And it's just, it's like the cold call. He walks up to them. They, as far as we know, they've never met Jesus. They've never talked to him. And he just walks up and he says, follow me. And they they just go. Now, they're fishermen. Now, I want to ask you kids some questions. Do you guys know what your parents do for a job? You don't know? Do you want to do something as for a job when you're a little older? No? No? You know it? You know what your parents do for a job? And do you want to do that? No? What, what do you want to do? You want, I like that. That's excellent. She, she wants to become president. So she, she did not say that she wants to be what her parents want to be. And that's, that's awesome. We have that option. Uh, in first century Israel, they, that was not a thing. You did what your parent did. Uh, James and John are fishermen. They were probably fishing from her age or younger. They might not have even been able to read. Uh, but they could fish. So this is a family business. And it's interesting when you read the actual text. It's from Mark. Uh, their father, Zebedee, is right there with them. He's standing in the boat with them. In Mark 16, or Mark 1, 16 to 20. Uh, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So James and John are working the family business. They're probably 30-ish. Uh, And they've probably been fishing with their dad from the time they were little. And Jesus walks up to them, 
no intro, no explanation, just follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, let's, let's go. And they, they just go and their dad's standing there like, uh, fit the fish? And there's sort of an expectation here that uh, when, as they were little kids, they were learning the trade and as they age and their dad ages, they're gonna take over and pretty much be the family's fishermen and their dad eventually is going to stop and he's going to expect to be cared for. So James and John are sort of walking out on the family business and they're, they're causing a problem with their dad. Uh, by following Jesus, they strain their livelihood and they strain their family relations. And the first thing I saw as I, I look over this passage, that's at first just, it's almost like an origin story. It's where, where are these guys from? Okay, they're going to follow Jesus. Now, let's get to the good stuff. But I think these passages are in here because we want to know where they're coming from and what it takes to initially follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So the first thing I saw was that it can be inconvenient. And that convicted me because I, I don't know, I don't know how inconvenient Jesus, following Jesus has been for me. And that makes me think, what is a way that it would be more inconvenient? What, if I was fully following Jesus, how would that be inconvenient for me? Now, I, I, I don't have a family business. You know, my, I'm not walking out of my dad. That's, that's not our society anymore. But I wonder if maybe, uh, maybe in school you, you are more fully following Jesus. And uh, it, it makes some of your friends feel weird. Um, or at work, it makes... It makes people kind of put their distance up a little bit. Um, it, it makes me wonder how we can do that more fully. And, and I, I'm still wrestling with that. I don't have a concrete answer for, for myself right now, but I invite you to wrestle with it too. The second thing that I saw was that following Jesus meant embracing the unknown. Um, these disciples left their livelihood. They left the fish. They left their dad. And we don't know that they ever went back. Maybe there was a time they were fishing again. But as far as we know, at least on that day, they're done fishing. And they have an immediate need. Like today, we can project paychecks. We've got food in the fridge. You know, the electricity is going to stay on in the house. They don't have any of that. Uh, this, this is a very poor society, and these people are poor within that society, but they just walk away, and they don't have a plan. Jesus didn't explain anything to them. Uh, he just says, follow me, and they're probably wondering, how are you going to feed us, man? Like, how, wh wh where are we going? Like, I, I could lose the house, <laughs> but they just go, and it, it's wild to me that they embrace the unknown like that, and Again, I was challenged by that. Um, three years ago, we had a, a group of pastors, um, and none of those are here now. Um, about a year ago, we, we got an interim pastor, and he, he's on an immediate needed sabbatical, and they, uh, the church is trying to raise up elders, and I got nominated, and in that process, they said, um, Preaching is probably in the line somewhere. Um, 
we'll go through some preaching labs and, and work back and forth and we'll get some training. And then the sabbatical happened and there was a need right now. And uh, I, I think that's one way that I can embrace the unknown right now. Uh, and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be excellent. I, I think I said this in our community group. It need, you need to be willing. Okay, these, dis- these disciples, uh, they didn't know what Jesus had for them. And in fact, I'm pretty sure if he had told them, uh, they would have said, no, no, mm-mm. So I'm gonna be with you for three years and we're gonna be living hand to mouth, going to people's houses and living off their charity. And then you're gonna get arrested and killed. Uh, no, no thanks. I'll, the fish sound good. Uh, I think Jesus, I think God doesn't tell us I think he purposely is opaque with our direction because we wouldn't follow him if he told us everything. And additionally, he wants us to trust him in this process. For three years, Jesus is walking with these guys and he, and he wants them to trust him and they're building that. And in the time of his arrest, in the time of his death, they're, they're confused. They see a picture of what, what was all this for? He's dead, he's gone. They don't understand. And that is a, a slice of their experience. They, they see that in time and they wonder, what, what now, God? I think it's those moments where we have to embrace the un- unknown and trust God that he knows what he's doing. He's not gonna show us the whole road. I mean, I, yesterday morning I was running in the dark very early. I've got my little waist headlamp on and the battery's dying, and I can see like eight feet in front of me, and I'm like I'm trying to look up and you know look for roots and rocks, and I can see about eight feet, and I picture that as that's how following Jesus is. We we get this much. He's not going to show us everything, because that that defeats the whole point of trusting in Him and following Him. And the third thing I saw was further down in this list of disciples, tucked in there at the end of the passage, uh, the 12 disciples are listed. It's just a name, you know, list of names. And some of these guys you never see again, like Bartholomew, as far as I know, he's not in the New Testament ever again. Maybe he changed his name. I don't know. Uh, so we don't know, oh, that went. <laughs> we don't know a lot about these guys. Uh, but there are two names in there that really stand out to me. Uh, one is Simon the Zealot. Uh, we don't know a lot about, about this guy, but we know historically uh, there was a group called the Zealots about a generation after Jesus. In AD 66 to 70, uh, they're involved in kicking off the Jewish-Roman War, and they lose badly. Uh, Israel tries, or, or a faction of Israel tries to fight the Romans and overthrow Rome. Now the reason this happened was through the Old Testament, Israel is a sovereign nation. God gives Israel prophets and then Israel starts looking to their neighbor and they see, you know, I wanna be like them. I know you said to follow you and to to listen to these prophets, but they have kings and I I want that. So God says, all right, you can have kings. Uh, Some of the kings are good, some of them are terrible. Uh, But Israel keeps looking at their neighbor and keeps wanting to be like their neighbor rather than God. And eventually, God gives them over to other nations and they get conquered. And this happens multiple times. 
So by the time of Jesus, the Romans rule Israel. Israel has gone from a free nation to a politically conquered against their will, and economically, they're paying taxes to the Romans, also against their will, without any say. So that's the environment these Jewish disciples grow up in. And Simon the Zealot is a member of a group that wants to, well, he, he would certainly empathize with this group who would want to overthrow these Romans. They want to see Israel free by any means necessary. And it's the reason so many Jewish people don't recognize Jesus. Because a Messiah is going to come in on a horse. He's wearing armor, he's got a sword, and we're going to ride into battle and overthrow the Romans. That's what they think a Messiah is. So when Jesus shows up, hugging kids, talking about loving your enemies, they're like, cool. Uh, well, they're still waiting on the Messiah, and they completely miss it. So Simon the Zealot is one of these borderline extremists, to use a charge word, who want to see the Romans gone by any means necessary. And Jesus calls him. Jesus brings him into the fold. And meanwhile, also in this group is Matthew. And we have the actual account of Matthew being called. That's in Mark 2, uh, verses 13 and 14. He went out, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. So you got Simon the Zealot, the extremist, ready to overthrow the Romans. In the same group of disciples, you have Matthew. He's a Jewish man who is openly working for Rome to extract taxes from Jewish people. He's a collaborator. So in the same group, you have people on completely political opposites, if they see each other in the streets, they're ready to come to blows without a word. And Jesus pairs them together. These, these are two of the 12. And I like to think that when Jesus sends out disciples two by two, I like to think he paired them up. It, it doesn't say that, but uh, that, would, that, would be, that would be God's style. God brings people together that maybe we wouldn't have brought together if we had done it our way. And that was the third thing I saw, that following Jesus means being with people you wouldn't have chosen to be with. Uh, I couldn't make that shorter, but uh, God brings people together that uh, when we drive the ship, we kind of say, yeah, let's follow Jesus. You, you follow Jesus right over there, and uh, I'm going to follow Jesus here, okay? We'll, we're going to do some nice parallel things. Uh, but that's not how God works. God brings people together. Uh, Jesus came to reconcile us to God, but also to each other. That's why I loved Chewy's sermon series through Ephesians, because he wasn't ever manipulating text. He was simply explaining that the point of this letter was the unity of the church, whether Paul talks about husbands loving their wives or, or how to pray or what, whatever various topic is in Ephesians. It was for the unity of the church, for the, for the unity of believers. And I think we, we either dismiss that or we purposely ignore it. And, and we, meaning me, I do that. Uh, as I studied this, I kept thinking, how do I, how do I try to keep my little circle of Christians, 
and avoid being reconciled to other people. And the, one of the easiest ways was, I don't choose my neighbors. Um, people live where they live. And I'm, we, Mandy and I live in Manassas on Lucasville, and we're surrounded by either senior citizens or Guatemalans. And love them both. Uh, but they're not who I'm naturally inclined to hang out with. We're naturally inclined to hang out with people just like us. Uh, so I'm, I'm convicted to begin building relationships with people much older than me and with people from vastly different places than I am. Um, so that was one way that I'm going forward trying to work on this, trying to be reconciled to people that I wouldn't choose to be with if it was up to me. And I think through these three points, I know I'm flying, uh, I think we see that Jesus does things differently than how we would do them. Because Jesus calling the disciples is, is a picture of why, why, are you, why are you doing this way? Why are you choosing these people? And these, these are poor people, uneducated people, people in conflict with each other. It's just not how I would have chosen to build a team. And, and yet that's, that's picturesque Jesus. That, that, that is how God works. Uh, I mean, if we were doing things, we, we might have a church with a pastor who's been here for 10 years. And, or we might be a church that has its own building. Uh, but we don't. And I think God does things the way he does them for a reason, to make us trust him. Uh, so if I can reiterate, what I take from this passage is that following Jesus should be inconvenient. And I, I'm going to challenge myself and I challenge you to think, how has following Jesus been inconvenient for me? And how, how might it if I was doing it more wholeheartedly? And then following Jesus means embracing the unknown. Um, I, maybe that means... Uh, something as dramatic as a career change. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's just trusting God more with uh, something you, you want that tight grip on. Like, God, you, I know you'll provide for me, but just let me have this. Like, the disciples, they, they left their livelihoods. And, and, and that is a picture of a very extreme example. Uh, but I think that is not something we should glaze over. Uh, I, I think we should struggle with what it is to follow Jesus in the unknown. And then I'd say struggle with how following Jesus means embracing people that you might not be inclined to embrace. And don't rush to them right after the service. That's going to be really obvious. Uh, like, I, I know I have my, my circle and, and it's, it's time for me to, to branch out and to challenge myself, uh, but to love those people too. It's not just about uh, uh, y- you doing what God has said and the example that the, the disciples are. It's for those people as well. It's for their sake too. Um, so to close, uh, I want to I want to invite you if if you don't. Um, if you would say you don't follow Jesus or you're not sure what that is, I would challenge you that it is a, it is a thoroughly life-changing event. 
and a life-changing life. Uh, it is, it is, repentance is literally a changing of direction. Uh, it, it's not an incorporation of God into your existing life. It is a total remodel. Um, so if you want to talk about what it is to follow Jesus, find anyone who claims they do. Uh, find me, find Louis, find Andrew. I mean, uh, wherever Diego is. There he is. Okay. Um, a- any of these folks uh, who would, who have been following Jesus for a little longer. And, and, and if you, you already are a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to, to do some prayer and some self-analysis and see uh, how can I do this more thoroughly? How can I be like these disciples who drop their nets and go? Um, yeah, uh, let me pray. God, thank you for texts like this. Thank you that even though I've read, o- read it over a dozen times and just skipped to the next, um, thank you for giving us messages like this uh, where you, you have so much to teach us if we, if we slow down and read and study and pray. Um, help us do that more and, and work in us to follow you more wholeheartedly. Um, Unite us and uh, bring us together as people who might not have chosen each other, but, but you brought us together. Help us trust you in that and, and be a body who, who loves you and each other. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.